Lord Jesus, I am already grateful for your presence here this morning. If we dismissed right now and went home, I feel like I'd be okay. Thank you for making your presence known to your people, for gracing us. We couldn't deserve it, but you pour your presence out anyway. Thank you. Lord, now as we come to your word, would you speak to us this morning? Would you have your way among us? Lord, as always, may I decrease and you increase this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a quick, quick recap of where we have been. We've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. And so the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, Jesus has been going around town to town, village to village, uh, to start his ministry telling people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he would do some miracles and people would go, whoa, this is awesome. But then he'd leave and he'd go to the next place and he would say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And he would do some miracles and people, whoa, this is awesome. And, and on and on and on it goes until finally there's this massive crowd going, stop, 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 Jesus. What is this kingdom? What is this kingdom of heaven? Like we're interested, we're in, we're ready to buy. What is it? And so Jesus says, okay, everybody sit down. And he goes up on this mountainside so that everyone can hear him, hence the Sermon on the Mount. You've put together why we call it that, right? Yeah, it's actually on a mountain. And he has them there so that he can tell them, let me finally explain to you what this kingdom is all about. And so he starts with the Beatitudes, which we covered, it's been almost three months ago, going through, here's the kind of heart the king is looking for. And in fact, here's the kind of heart the king is looking to create in his kingdom. Those that are humble, those that are meek, those that serve, those that are patient when in affliction, those that bless instead of persecute. And then he starts going into some teachings. He goes, look, you guys have been told, and he starts bringing some of the law. He goes, but I tell you what God desires is even deeper than that. You've been told don't murder, but I tell you it's so much deeper than that, it's don't hold anger in your heart towards your brother. You've been told don't commit adultery, but I tell you it's so much deeper than that, don't even lust after a woman in your heart. Jesus was really trying to get across to them, listen, the king isn't simply after your obedience. Obedience will follow, but the king is after your heart. It's not just about did you do this or did you not do this. What was going on inside of you when you did it? Does the king actually have your heart? And listen, th this can be a difficult thing. Some, I have said heart so many times over the last three months, and I watch some men check out when I talk about the heart because when we think of the heart, it's been ruined by Hallmark cards and Valentine's Day, and we think like, love you. Like, guys don't really talk about our heart. It, it's a pretty rare thing for two guys to sit down and go, hey, tell me what's going on in your heart. And so I want to hopefully, maybe just in a quick minute, lessen some of that weight for us as men. It's a difficult thing to talk about our hearts. I think it's a part of maturity, and I, I wish we would move in that direction. But let me see if this helps us at all. In the scriptures, when it says heart, that's actually a bad translation. What it means is bowels. No joke. Love the Lord your God with all your bowels, your mind, and your soul. Because they were very literal people and they went, what is the absolute center of a person? It's your bowels. It's your belly button. What is the deepest part of a person? It's your bowels. And so Jesus was going around telling people, the king isn't after your obedience, he's after your bowels, your guts. 
He's not just after the outside, the facade that we can create. He kept pointing to the Pharisees and going, look, they look great, but you know later he would teach they're just whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, they're just full of bones on the inside. He was going, the king is after the deepest parts of you. Now we talk about, you know, the heart. It's the heart of the matter. It's the core of the issue. But if it helps you guys, we can sit down and have coffee and go, how's your bowels been this week? <laughs> now I'm having coffee and bowel jokes run through my head that I will not make here. But heart can be weird for us. And so if it is, just replace the, the deepest parts, the core, the center of us. That's what the Lord is after, not the facade, not just the actions, but the core of us. He's calling us to be given to him. And so we've been walking through this, and we find ourselves this week, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Jesus, again, teaching, he says, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Many of us have heard this passage before, and so I want to do what we commonly do here and just talk a little bit between us. When I ask these questions, they're not rhetorical. I actually want answers back. What does keep asking, keep searching, keep knocking, like what does it practically mean? What is Jesus actually telling people to do? Was there a physical door that they were supposed to go knock on? Like, no. What was he actually encouraging people to do, to be consistent in our prayers, okay? Okay, continually seek him, okay? Persevere. Okay, yeah, kind of don't stop coming, just keep pushing through even when it's hard, okay? Commit, yep. I think oftentimes when we hear this, and we're gonna come back to this question, I just wanna, wanna stop and kind of jump off for a sec. Oftentimes when we hear this, we put it into simply pray more. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. We go, oh, pray more. And listen, this passage absolutely refers to prayer. In fact, there's a very similar teaching that Jesus gives over in Luke chapter 18 about prayer. And you can see it has this same kind of vibe to it. In Luke 18, he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and to not become discouraged. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect man. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he was unwilling, but yeah, for, what, for a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps persisting or pestering me, I will give her justice. So she doesn't wear me out by her persistence in coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust, unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay to help them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, the son of, when the Son of Man comes, will he find that faith on earth? So Jesus is going, look, we know how this would work in a very practical matter. Sometimes when it comes to prayer, we feel like, is it really working? Is it really doing anything? Maybe I should just quit. I should just give up. People were getting discouraged in their prayer. And he was going, look, even this, this guy who is completely unjust, who doesn't care about the rules, he's, he's a judge in a place of power, but he's really selfish, just wants to do his own thing. Even he is going to give in to this. A widow was the lowliest of person. A widow had nothing to offer him. A widow, like what? there was no bribery. He gained nothing by helping her. 
but he was so tired of her persistent coming and begging that he goes, look, she, she wore me down. She, she beat me down. I'll just give her what she wants so that she stops coming. He goes, if it works like this with an unjust judge, imagine an actually good judge, someone who actually does care about justice, what that persistence would mean. Imagine a judge who is actually looking to help a widow in need. He's going, if it works this way with the unjust judge, imagine how a good judge would handle this. Don't give up in your prayers. Keep coming. So when we hear this knock, seek, ask, we can absolutely apply it to prayer, but I don't think that it only applies to like, you should pray more. Don't stop asking God for that thing that you want. I think what Jesus is talking about here is much deeper, because remember, Jesus taught on prayer over in Matthew chapter 6, and when you look at the context here, he's not talking about, so hey, don't forget to pray. I think when you start to look at the context here, you see that Jesus has just gone over some really, really difficult teachings. We've spent three months almost looking at this. They would have had it all hit them in an hour. Okay, remember how you guys thought it was hard not to murder each other? That's nothing. What about the anger in your heart? Oh, man, that's, that's so much harder. You know how it's been hard not to commit adultery? And they would have been like, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, don't even look at her like that. Whoa, that's so much harder. They were getting hit with some, like they thought the law was already way too heavy to carry. And now Jesus was coming to them and going, the law is nothing. Don't do those things, child's play. What's going on in your heart? What leads to murder is anger. Are you even angry with your brother in your heart? Are you holding on to that? They would have been hearing all these teachings and you could almost see their eyes starting to glaze over in the crowd. It's too much, Jesus. This is too heavy. This is too hard. You could see them starting to get overwhelmed and discouraged because they started even making connections and going, man, this is, this is like every minute of every day. Because listen, I struggle with anger at home with, with my kids and with my wife and at work with my coworkers. And you know what? That neighbor who put up that fence, and I struggle with anger everywhere. It was easy not to go around murdering people. Weird, right? But like easy, no problem. Anger is everywhere. And they started seeing the ripple effects of Jesus' teaching and you can tell they would start to get overwhelmed and like, why did we even come here? This is too hard. He's asking too much. This was an encouragement not to be overwhelmed by the weight of the kingdom. Not to be overwhelmed by, by this righteousness that God was calling us to. Don't give up, you can see Jesus saying. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Keep asking. But listen, seek what? Over in Matthew 6, so just a few verses before, Jesus told us what to seek. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Don't give up. Keep seeking the kingdom of God. Keep seeking the righteousness that God is calling you to. Jesus talked about this when he taught them in the Lord's Prayer. And he taught them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is that seeking after your kingdom over mine. 
keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But listen, here's, here's a truth that we have to grasp. To seek the kingdom is to seek the king. Jesus wasn't just telling them, do better. Don't be angry anymore. Quit it. He was telling them, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because listen, we ask a person for things, right? We don't just ask it into the air, or we don't just like go to Walmart and ask the packages, come home with me. Like, we ask people for things. We knock, why? Because we expect a person to open the door. Jesus was trying to tell them, like, listen, it's not just do better, but if you want to find the kingdom, seek after the king. Jeremiah 29, 13, this passage has always given me strength. This is God teaching 600 years before Jesus. And here's what he said. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus understood we don't have a God that is hiding that is, that is playing hide-and-go-seek, because listen, he's better at it than we are. We serve a God who desires to be found, who desires to open the door, who desires to answer our questions. So Jesus says, listen, I know this is a lot, but don't give up. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, because we have a God who desires to be found. And listen, he, he ties it into this in the next passage. So reading what we've already read and then continuing on. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? To seek the kingdom is to seek the king. Jesus knew, like, listen, if they're really going to pursue the kingdom, they have to understand who the king is. And the imagery he decided to use wasn't this, like, he is the almighty who spoke the world into being, and he is the, the, um, the Lord of hosts of the Old Testament who raises up armies. He said, listen, he's a good father who wants to be found by his kids. To seek the kingdom is to seek the king. To find the kingdom is to find the king. Again, he wanted them to understand this isn't just about always doing the right thing or never doing the wrong thing. But this is about seeking the king's face and becoming like him. Again, it's, it's almost as if Jesus was talking. He goes, listen, for those that choose to seek the kingdom, you're not in this alone. I know that this is going to be hard. Everything I've just said, this is really, really difficult. This would take more than the lifetime you have to perfect. But don't give up. You're not in this alone. The king is like a good father, and he desires to give good gifts to his king, or to his kids, excuse me. And some of the people there would have caught some shrapnel as Jesus was talking, because he's going, man, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. You know, man, if, if your kid asks for bread, you're not going to give him a rock. That'd be crazy, right? But, if, but you who are evil, and they would have been like, whoa, Jesus, what the heck? In verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to you who ask him? That, that seems really harsh, 
Like all of a sudden Jesus just went, and you're all evil. But if you understand what that word means, in the, in the Greek, it doesn't mean evil like they're just wicked people from their core. It's actually, it comes from the root word of pain. But if you, even though you're in pain from your sin, even though you're living with the effects of your own evil, is what he's saying there, if you even know how to give good gifts. Because listen, how many parents do we have in here today? Okay, put your hand down because I want to ask you to raise your hand again here in a moment. Raise your hand if you've ever parented out of selfishness. Give me two, come on. You know what I mean? That, that thing of like, well, why did you yell at him? Because I just wanted him to quit it. Because I was just over it. You know, like, even if we who are evil, who are dealing with our children out of our own pain and out of our own selfishness, even we know to give good gifts to our children. I was having a conversation with a group of men this last week just about like some of the, the stories you hear that children are in now that break your heart. But as we were talking, we were going, you know, I don't think anyone ever gets into parenting going, I'm going to have a son just so I can really jack him up. I just haven't messed up a life in a while. Let's have a kid. I think every single person is doing the best they can with what they have. They're, they desire to give good gifts to their kids. They might not know how. They might not have the tools, what, whatever it is. But every parent desires something good for their kids. And God says, yeah, if this is you, even though you are broken and selfish and sinful, how much more would a perfect father give to his children? How much more would he desire to give them good gifts? Jesus really desires for us to understand who the king is. Not some distant God over there, but a loving father who's going, keep coming. Keep seeking after me. Keep knocking. Keep asking. I love to open the door. I love, excuse me, to give good gifts to my kids. Seek because the king is waiting to be found, wanting to be found. Knock because he is waiting to open the door and invites you in and ask because the king is a good father who wants to give his children good things. So again, let me ask and let's talk amongst ourselves. What kind of good gifts does the father want to give us? Spiritual gifts, maybe? Listen, in James 4.2, I just want to make this really clear. James is talking to kind of the church as a whole, and he says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. Okay, this is like a couple decades after Jesus is gone, and he's already telling the church, like, listen, we're forgetting this good father. We're not even asking him for the things that we need. And he's trying to point their eyes back, like, whoa, whoa, whoa don't lose sight of it. A lot, of things you, a lot of these good gifts you don't have because you don't even ask for them. So what are the good gifts that we should be asking for? What are some of the good gifts that the Father wants to give us? Spiritual gifts came out already. Wisdom. What was it? Salvation. Salvation. Kind of a good one. What is it? Peace. Love. Mm -hmm. Strength. Discernment. Forgiveness. Manna. Okay. Manna, that, that bread from heaven, that sustenance. Yeah. 
I think oftentimes, uh, certainly in American Christianity, if I'm just painting with a very broad brush, when we would come to this verse, ask, seek, knock, keep asking, your father wants to give you good gifts, a lot of us, maybe not a lot of us, but a lot of American Christians would turn to ask, seek God for the new and shiny, for the bigger and better. Listen, even, even some of the simple stuff of like, for our daily bread, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, right? He taught us to pray that. But then right afterwards, he said, listen, but that's almost secondary, because in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, when, when Dan preached a couple weeks ago, he preached on this, he just kept saying, look, when it comes to what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, how you're going to live, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Don't freak out. Don't spend so much time worrying about these things. He said, look at the birds. As beautiful as they are, as precious as they are to God, none of them asks God for a meal, yet he takes care of them every day. Look at the lilies of the valley. They don't work and, and earn but look at how beautifully God has dressed them. Doesn't he care about you even more? There's this phrase that just keeps coming up as Jesus is going through, and it goes, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. And so listen, it's not don't ask for them, but I think he's trying to make it clear, these are not the primary things that God is going, just keep knocking on that door for it. He knows you need it. Again, he's a good father, and he knows what his children need. So it's not, again, it's not shame on us for ever asking Lord, what are we going to eat tomorrow? Lord, are you going to provide a job? Lord, are you going to... Those are not bad things, but those are not the primary things that we're called to seek him for. Are there wrong things to ask the Lord for? Okay, I'm getting some mixed reviews, so somebody help me out. Are, are there wrong things to ask the Lord for? Some, something more than yes or no. What would some of them be? If, there, if you believe there are maybe some wrong things to ask the Lord for. I hear a pigeon. Vengeance. Vengeance. That's so much better. I was like, I did say the birds of the air. Like, okay. Like, vengeance. Is it wrong to ask the Lord for money? Okay, even you aren't sure they're, yeah. Like, okay, Maybe. Kitty gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I, I'm going to put this little caveat on it. Certain things are just wrong to ask for. Things that either are sin, vengeance, like Sam there brought up. Like the Lord says very clearly, vengeance is mine. Don't even seek it. You're, you're to love one another, to, to forgive one another. Like vengeance is off the table for you. It, it's, it's a sinful thing for me to ask the Lord for my neighbor's wife. Right? Yes. Yes, church? Yes. Oh, man. You guys scare me sometimes. Okay. There are certain things that are just off the board. Okay? They're sinful things. They're things that lead me to sin. But I think the more important thing, some of those we would go, yeah, no-brainer. Duh. But there are certain things where it's not about what we're asking for. Like, Brandon brought up money. And I said, really? And there was that, um, I mean, maybe sometimes. Like, because it's about the posture of our heart as we seek him. We looked at James 4, chapter 2, but I want to put it in context. Let's look at 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. 
You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So listen, in the middle there, James is going, look, sometimes the problem is we just don't ask, but very often the problem is we're going, Lord, give me what I want. Give me what I could really use. Give me what would make me feel better. Give me what would, would, would puff me up. Give me what would get me one over on them. And the Lord will not answer those prayers. Because he's a good father, he will not answer those prayers. You, even though you are evil, sometimes don't give your kids fruit snacks. For the people that are listening to this later on the recording and didn't hear what Kim just said, they're just going to hear me jump in with calling her evil and telling people to give their kids fruit snacks. But yeah, listen, here's the thing. God is not even afraid of our wrong requests. Okay? Like, I, what, to the point Kim is trying to make, it's not like God's up there going, oh, why would you ask me for that? But just because, like... Sometimes we go, we take his, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking and going, but if I ask for it enough, he has to give it to me, right? No, because again, he judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. He's going, wait, 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 your heart is not right in what you're asking. And listen, you may not even be aware of it yet, but because he's a good, loving father, he's going to bring that up. Hey, you know what? What are, what are your motives in asking me for this? Sometimes we don't get to that point. We just go, give me this thing I wanted. He doesn't give it to us or it doesn't happen in our time and we just storm off. Because a good father would have given it to me. And that's not what he says. Listen, he gives good gifts as he determines good. Sure. Sure. So many times we get ourselves into trouble because we go, God, this Thursday, do this thing for me. And he's going, I got something way better than that planned. But we start pouting because I didn't get what I wanted on Thursday. Instead of just going, like, like Shelton saying, Lord, here's my issue. You're, you can do Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly above anything that I could ever ask or imagine. Like, you're that God. Why don't I not tell you what to do for me? Why don't I instead just come and say, hey, Dad. Uh, this is my issue. What do you want to do? 
you're God. You figure it out. He doesn't need our help. It's not like he's going, oh, that is a tough one. What should I do? And we go, how about you give me this? And he goes, nailed it. I didn't even think of that. What if instead we came and just said, listen, Father, here's my situation. Here's what's going on in my heart. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I need this. I think I need that. What do you want to do? What, what if that is how we sought the Lord? Because listen, there's this, back to this passage in Matthew 7, there is this whole prosperity gospel that can come out of this that says, if you just seek it hard enough, he has to give it to you. But listen, here's the problem with that. God doesn't play by those rules because that's not what he said. And so when he doesn't give it to you, here's what the prosperity gospel says. It's because there's something wrong with you. Because you didn't have enough faith. So God's kind of mad at you and withholding good things from you. And that is a very dangerous, very damaging way to look at things. Instead of, I love what Shelton said, just coming and going, I believe that you are good. And so here's my needs, Father. How do you want to meet them? What is it you want to do? And listen, Steve Tony, who was an elder here, they, they moved to Ohio and betrayed us last year. For those of you that know Steve. But here, if you don't know and respect Steve, you just don't know Steve. I'll say that. Um, he would hate that I said that, but he's not here. Here's the view that Steve had on things that I always respected so much. If I don't have it, then I must not need it. Because the Father gives me everything I need. He's a good Father. Again, how many times did Jesus say through the Sermon on the Mount, your, your Father knows what you need. And so Steve had the very mature, listen, easy to say, but difficult to live with, if I don't have it, it's because I don't need it. Because I have a good father who gives me what I need. Do you hear how he, he presupposed God's goodness in everything. There wasn't, let's see what God does, and then I'll decide if he's good. It was, no, God is good. His word is true. And so if I don't have this, I just must not need it. But I think the things that, the kind of gifts that the father wants to pour out us, again, when you look in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't just food for today. Again, not wrong to ask for. He, he commands us, ask for that. But he's talking about deeper things. He's talking about the transformation of our souls. He's talking about us becoming kingdom people, seeking and finding the Lord and being made like the Lord. We mentioned some of the things, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Becoming the man or the woman that God created you to be is the greatest gift the Father is waiting to pour out on us. And listen, sometimes that means in times of plenty when we have everything, not only that we could need or want and it's being met, sometimes it's when we're going, okay, I don't know how this works out, Lord. The good gift that the Father is always pouring out on those that seek him is the gift of transformation. Making you into a new creation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that you would become the man or the woman that you were always created to be. This is a prayer the Father will always answer. This is a good gift. He is always pouring out. Listen, whether you see it or not. Again, the people there hearing the Sermon on the Mount would have been in this place of going, this kingdom thing is so difficult. And Jesus is going, it is. You're going to need to continue to seek the king's face. The king is the only one who can give you what you need to become this kind of kingdom people. So don't stop seeking his face. Don't stop asking for more of him. Don't stop knocking. 
because he's waiting to open the door. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who searches finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. I'm sorry, Jesus. How did we get to the golden rule? Sometimes Jesus kind of pivots in the middle of a teaching and you go, these aren't even remotely close. Keep seeking your father. He's a good father who wants to to give bread to us and to to give us a fish. I, I don't think a fish is a very good gift, but they lived by the sea. They loved fish. But all of a sudden there's this pivot. Whatever you want others to do for you, also do the same for them. How did, Jesus, how did we get to the golden rule? Why did Jesus choose this moment, let's talk here, to focus on the golden rule? Okay. Okay, so he's looking back over all of chapter 5, all of chapter 6, and going, hey, we've been talking about the law, all of that. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And he's going, let me just start to wrap this up for you. Do to others what you would have them do to you. That's, that sums it up. Okay? Other thoughts? Why would he choose this moment? Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. You have a good father waiting to give you good gifts. Why would he choose that moment? Okay. It's, it's, it's almost like a natural outcome of seeking after him as I'm going to begin to... Uh, Jesus in another place, to love my neighbor as myself, okay? Other thoughts? Why this moment? Okay. Yeah. Okay, I hadn't thought about that. So there is maybe this aspect of him going, when you ask for bread, I'm going to use another brother or sister to provide it for you, okay? That, that, that's cool, I like that. Other thoughts? Listen, sometimes we just take these things that seem like they're standalones and we go, the golden rule. Most people could quote the golden rule. But when you put it in context, you go, I, I don't see how we got there. Especially, there's this magic word there. Put uh, verse 12 back up there for me. Therefore, what's the question we ask, church, every time we see the word therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Therefore is meant to tie two thoughts together. Because of this, this is true. Now that I've said this, you will understand this. So Jesus is saying, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. You have a good heavenly father who wants to give you good gifts. Therefore, love other people the way that you want to be loved. I think what it has to do with is he's saying, look, this first part, everything before the therefore... Love, ask, seek. Good Father. He's going, put your faith in him. 
Listen, it takes trust and faith to continue knocking, right? Because the reason he says keep knocking is because the door hasn't opened yet, right? It's not that Jesus doesn't paint a picture where the first time you tap that door, it flies open. There takes this persistence, this commitment. Keep knocking, keep asking. Have faith that you have a good father on the other side of the door who has your best in mind, who desires to give you good gifts, who desires to be found. If you have that kind of faith, you can then serve others without fear. Because here's the hard part about the golden rule. We would much prefer the golden rule said, be served by others and then do the same back to them, right? Let other people take the first step. Once they love you, love them back. But that's not what Jesus taught. And I think the reason it's tied to this passage before is because he's going, listen, if you choose the kind of faith, the kind of trust in your good father that says, I believe that you are going to take care of me, that you are my heavenly father and you know what I need. If I truly believe that, I'm now free to serve you because here's the thing, because I don't need a thing from you. If I truly believe that my heavenly father is going to meet all of my needs, is going to give me the good gifts that I need, is going to take care of me as a good father does, I now don't need anything from you. I don't need for you to come and serve me first so that I can go, okay, now that I got what I need, what's left over that I can give out? But instead, it's faith that goes, I trust that God is going to take care of me, so now I'm going to take a step of faith and take care of you. Maybe even before I've received the good gift from him, but I trust that he's going to give me what I need. And so I'm free to treat you with the love, the honor, the dignity, the respect that, that you deserve and that I hope you pay back to me. But listen, there's this little kind of caveat. But even if you don't, I'm okay because my heavenly father has taken care of me. This is about faith and trust in a good father. And if we truly have that faith and trust, it will result in us loving and serving others because my needs are already taken care of. Whether I've seen it yet or not, I've got a good father and he doesn't drop the ball. He sees what I need. We talked about this a little bit uh, when we were talking about marriage. And when we were talking about marriage and loving and serving one another, there was this idea that we can't sit back and go, well, once she's the kind of wife that deserves love, I'll give her some. Once he's the kind of husband that deserves respect, I'll give him some. What we find in scripture instead is like wives respect your husbands, husbands love your wives. Like these things of going, don't wait. Don't wait until they're that perfect person deserving of it because we all know they'll never be, I'll never be. But instead be the first one through the door with love and respect ready for them because You've committed your whole life to them. Like you, you stood and made an oath that these, this, this woman, this man, I will love and I'll cherish good seasons, bad seasons, the whole thing. He's going, now, live it. Don't wait for them. What would it look like in a marriage if we were tripping over each other, serving each other? It'd be beautiful, right? I'm taking care of your needs before you even know you have them and you're doing the same for me and we're living life focused on the other person. Listen, that's a hard thing to do because there's always the question in the back of my mind, but what if she doesn't? But what if she drops the ball? And here's the thing, as lovely as my wife is, she will drop the ball. As hard as I try, I will drop the ball for her. And this is where we talk about Christian marriages. The beauty is going, I can love my wife like Jesus loves her 
Because even when she drops the ball, he's got my back. He is going to meet every need that I have. He's a good father. He already knows them. He's waiting to pour them out on me. I am now free to love my wife as he loves her because even when she hurts me, even when she drops the ball and she doesn't see that thing or she, doesn't, she didn't do that thing I asked her to do, I can have faith that my God is going to take care of all my needs. I can now love my wife from a place of I don't need to take something from her. I'm free to just give because I know my Father is going to give me what I need. Mar marriage is one key example of this, but it spills out everywhere. I can now begin to love my neighbors and to be generous towards my neighbors and to treat them like I wish they would treat me because I know that my God is going to take care of all of my needs. I have faith in my Heavenly Father. Here's the question for each of us this morning, a question that we have to, not out loud, but in our hearts, answer. Do you really believe that he is a good father to you? Because again, it's one thing to have a theology and go, yeah, 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 God is perfect. Jesus called him father. He's a good father. But let's make it very personal. Do you believe that he is a good father to you? Do I believe that he is a good father to me with my best interest in mind, knows my needs before I ask him, will never give me a stone when I ask for bread, will never give me a snake when I ask for fish? Do I really believe that he is a good father to me? And this goes right on the heels of it. Can he be trusted by you? Can you really trust God to meet all of your needs? He is good. He, he is the definition of good. Can you trust him to meet your needs? Can I trust him to meet my needs? Because if so, the only response possible is for me to then love you with reckless abandon. Because no matter what comes, whether you spit in my face or whether you return it to me in kind, my heavenly father will take care of me. He's a good father and I can trust him. This will begin to shape the way that you interact with other people because all of a sudden I don't need to take from you. He will give me what I need and so I'm free, hands open to go, hey, what do you need? How can I love you? How can I serve you? And even if, even if that bite the hand that feeds me, my father will take care of me. Is he your good father? Do you trust him? So let me read this passage again. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. This sums up the entire Old Testament. Love others as you want them to love you because you trust that your Father will take care of your needs. Back to Luke chapter 18. We're going to end with this passage. What we read before about the unjust judge and, and, and go, the widow who's just persistently knocking and asking. And he goes, man, how much more with your heavenly father? Will he come and take care of us? It ends with an interesting thing. I tell you, he, being God, will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, that nevertheless means even if it doesn't happen as quickly as you like. Even if you can't see what God is doing behind the scenes. When the Son of Man comes, will he find that faith on earth? 
on the day that Jesus returns, whatever day that is, will he find us a people who have that kind of faith that goes, I'm going to love and serve like I have nothing to lose because I trust that my God is working on my behalf. I trust that my heavenly father is taking care of my needs. When Jesus comes back, I think this is such an interesting phrase, will he find that faith on earth, that persistent I'm going to keep asking, going to keep seeking, going to keep knocking because I know he is moving on my behalf. Will he find that kind of faith on earth? Will he find that kind of faith here in Elkins? Let me pray and then we'll close. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would weigh our hearts. Lord, the deepest parts of us. If there are areas where if we're honest, Lord, we don't trust you, would you bring them to the surface? Not to hurt us, never to shame us, but Lord, so that we can hand those things over to you. We sang earlier, I surrender all. We surrender it to a good, loving father who desires to give good gifts to his children. May we walk open-handedly in the kind of faith that knows my God is moving and working on my behalf. I have nothing to fear. My heavenly father knows what I need. Lord, may this enable us to be the kind of people that love and serve with reckless abandon. Because we know a good father has our back. Lord, if there are areas, again, where we're withholding from you, where we don't trust, where we're scared to hand it over because it just hurts too much, whatever it may be, would you, our good father, meet us where we are. Come and begin to lovingly pry our fingers loose. Lord, that you can take from us the things that are hurting us, the things we're scared of, and you can show us your goodness in those areas. You can meet us where we are and you can bring love and faith and healing to us that we can be the kind of people who love our neighbors well. So come and do this work, Jesus. It's, it's more than I can do for myself. It's more as much as I want to that I can do for my brother and sisters. Either you show up and do this, Lord, or it doesn't happen. May we be the kind of people who walk faithfully on this earth until the day that you return, knowing we have a good Father who loves us and who will take care of us. It's in your name, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.